certain ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. I know it can do a lot of good. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelch Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And good morning and welcome to Saturday in the studio. And this is uh, an amazing day because, well, Merle Kelch Kelch is joining us live in the studio today. That's not the amazing thing. The amazing thing is he was here 10 minutes before the sh- before 8 o'clock, before the yeah, show was yeah. supposed to start. 15 minutes of spare, baby. How many years have we done this show? Oh, God. 20-some? Yeah, 20-some? Yeah. This is the first time that you have ever been that early uh, well, for, for the program. Know, every man's got to turn over a new leaf at some point in time. <laughs> next week, I'll make it, and I'll, I'll get it right again. But, yeah, it'll be uh, Ted yeah. after next year. Anyway, <laughs> Merle is here to take your phone call. 715-845-2155 is the number to call here if you have a question about your investment portfolio whatever's going on in the economy. I know a lot of people, I would imagine, have questions about what the market's doing, uh, the up and down with the with the inflation issues and all of that. Great jobs report uh, came out yesterday. It did. What yeah, does that yeah. mean for the for the market going forward? I guess, why don't you start there? Well, you know, not a bad idea. Um, I'm still getting myself prepared because I was here too early and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, I have all this time. I think I'm over-prepared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the, one of the uh, interesting things happened. So, by the way, if we take a look at the stock market, folks, over the course of of literally the last month that we look at it, we're up um, on the Dow, just looking at that one to begin with. Uh, we're up, uh, you know, some 10%, uh, 12% depending on the day and which one you're looking at. But we've really had a dramatic July. So one of the reasons I say this is because somewhere right about the end of June is where the market, the, the, at least in this, this phase, of the market bottomed out. And so usually where it says consulting in my office, it now says counseling because people <laughs> get those statements at the end of June. So, so hang in there. You know, we've talked about a long time in this program. Uh, the economists, the articles, and the things that we read, you know, that we're really not inside of a recession. And though it says negative GDP, um, the negative GDP is explained away because literally because of imports and exports. Um, but you, you can't have um, the rising job uh, numbers we just had. Matter of fact, the expectation was for 258,000 new jobs, and we came out with 528,000. Yeah, how do these guys you can't keep have that during a recessionary period of time? It how, just doesn't work that way. How do these guys keep their jobs when they were that wrong in the estimates of how many jobs there were going to be? I mean, hundreds of thousands wrong. I mean, well, you know, one of the things that's happening here, and we're noticing it again, folks. I'm I'm a, a, a volunteer and one of the trustees at the Fraternal Order of Eagles here. And, and uh, for a long time, we couldn't buy person, uh, we couldn't buy an application for somebody to apply for a job. And now they're flooding in and coming in pretty regularly. Um, not only do we pay well in case you're looking for a job, uh, but, uh, but now people are coming in. I think what happened, and I've said it before um, a couple of months ago, and I know I've said it here in the program too, I think the high fuel prices brought people out and went, what? And I think it shocked the system. And some people said, well, geez, I, you know, I really can't sit around and, and uh, you know, squeak by here. I need to do something more because the fuel prices, prices went up. I also think the fuel prices are helping with inflation because it's sucked up a bunch of cash that we had. To but now the fuel prices are coming around. down. They've been coming yeah. down consistently for the last few months. Well, they're certainly coming down, but they're nowhere near where they were still two years ago. I mean, it's, but they're still expensive. 
but but I think that had a part of it. And so we look at a lot of the jobs, and I haven't looked at it, but I know when we uh, had a big one again last month, a lot of it was inside of that leisure and hospitality. And the people that we had, some of the biggest uh, job drop-offs and that kind of stuff, when restaurants that are closed up, some were opening back up. And, and so I think that's it's a big part of that job. And I'd be willing to look at it. And I haven't dug into that report, I have to uh, say. Um, but I'd be willing to bet that that's a big part of that, too. So you get that coming in. Um, you know, some 80% of the S&P 500, which is a number that's a little bit higher than normal, uh, met or exceeded their profit, you know, both top and or bottom line. <clears throat> and with these things, we look at it and say, well, well, hold it. We're okay. And then all of a sudden, a jobs report come back. We see the, see the market go up. And so now we're starting to see the conversations back and forth. Well, maybe in September, the Fed takes August off, by the way, folks. Uh, in September, maybe they're not going to go up a three-quarters of a percent. Maybe they're just going to go up half a percent, wherever they might be. And so uh, those odds are starting to bounce back and forth. But, you know, when you see numbers like this, it tells us we're not in a recession, though we had a negative GDP, but we're not in a full-blown recession. Not saying one's still not coming, but probably not this year. This would be one of the few times that you and the Biden administration agree on something. Well, I told you, they learned from me. <laughs> yeah, we had this conversation. So. You said you just said that the market, the, the what, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 10% in the last month? Last month, yeah. I mean, that would I think that would surprise some people who don't follow this stuff on a regular basis. Well, if, if you don't. I mean, if you're still looking at it and saying the world's falling apart because you're looking at your June statement, you just missed what happened inside of July. And July was a it was a brilliant month. I mean, all the way across the board from a market standpoint, the techs have been coming back as far as their stocks jumping up. Um, uh, we're not seeing any new IPO stuff coming up, but that usually takes a while to come in. But it's, it's sort of like uh, people are saying, "Well, geez, this could be really good." So if we find that the inflationary number is coming back, and I think we get those numbers, I think next week, folks, don't uh, quote me on that date if you're looking. Um, if those inflationary numbers, we could see the market jump again. Um, uh, you know. People are getting excited. The prices are coming down on, on, uh, on gas prices. Uh, stock market coming back, and, and we could see this, this market jump up a little bit more. So then what, uh, obviously, in that situation, you, you know, you've been buying stuff on sale now. So if the market's going up, stuff's not going to be on sale anymore. So are you taking money off the table then, or are you still throwing money in? We're not going to take money off the table. We've been just buying stuff that has been on sale. Um, uh, you know, the, taking the money off the table, hmm. Uh, maybe you do that with one stock. You know, here's an example of some things that people do will do, folks. Uh, let's say you have a stock that's big, large company, good quality growth stock, and uh, it went up uh, uh, 20% this past month. I'm just making this up. And you say to yourself, well, geez, I'd really like to take that profit, um, and I like the company. So you sell that company, you take the profit, but then you buy the neighbor, uh, the neighboring stock, and you take some of that profit. But when the market was down a month ago, you might have sold one, took the loss, and buy the one you just had that went up about 20% now to avoid what's called wash sale rules. So there's a lot of that stuff going on. A lot of the stuff we're doing right now and starting to go with a lot of our clients is to make sure our portfolio is positioned properly for a market that's going back up again. So, for example, we just did a case where um, a client came to us and had a lot of stuff that was, I don't want to say bad investments, but just not consistent with this client, if that makes any sense. Uh, the investments weren't bad, they just weren't consistent. And so as a result of it, he had a whole bunch of money sitting inside of balanced funds and balanced type of investments. Again, not bad, just bad for this person. And so we had to get it reconstructed so it was more, more growth-oriented as the market going up. So it's, again, it's a lot of tweaking that's going on for the portfolios um, as we see the market rise again. Let's go to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Bill. Hey, you're on with Merle. Go ahead. Morning, Bill. I, I have absolutely uh, no, no idea. Maybe I'm just imagining things, but... How in the world can financially can China sanction Nancy Pelosi? 
Yeah, that that news came out this morning. Just yeah. like just like we have sanctioned some of the Russian oligarchs and the Russians have sanctioned some of our politicians. They're not allowed to invest in any companies in that country anymore. They're not in. in, in I don't think they're going to be allowed to, to travel in those countries anymore. Things like that. I think uh, that's what I, they mean by sanctions. Well, I think what that means is Pelosi's husband won't be allowed to insider trade anymore. Uh, oh, sorry, I just had to say that. I just they just didn't elaborate on the story. They just kind of. Yeah, what Bill was interesting about that is I had the exact same thought in my mind when I heard it as I was driving down here this morning to uh, do the studio or to the, to the studio. I thought, well, how are they going to sanction her because they can't get in and, and uh, disrupt her bank account? No, it's 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 stuff that involved in their, their country. Like like we're doing it with the Russians, and the Russians are doing it with us. Some of our Congress people can't travel to Russia anymore. They can't invest in in Russian companies if they wanted to. Things like that. Sure. So it really doesn't. Anything. Not well. Not, I mean, would I wouldn't think that Nancy Pelosi cares that she's sanctioned and can't travel to to Beijing. I don't right, think that's a problem. Right. Yeah. Oh, all right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Seven one five eight four five twenty one fifty five is the number to call here if you have a question uh, regarding your portfolio or anything else that's on your mind when it comes to investments. So, I mean, now we're talking. We're getting close. We're what about three weeks away from Labor Day, and the old line was. Uh, People would go away in the summer and come back on Labor Day. So if people hadn't been paying attention, is that even a thing anymore? I mean, I would think today with the Internet and all of the information available at your fingertips, people don't just ignore stuff for yeah, three, yeah. Mo- three months, right? Well, the old thing used to be a sell in May, come back after Labor Day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like so many other things you hear is, is people have done these studies saying we're going to look at this and sell in May. You don't have to do anything for the summer. Come back again in, in uh, September. Uh, you know, it, it it just doesn't work anymore because so many people do it, and then the advantage becomes lost because somebody announced what was going on. You saw the same thing with the Dow tens and the dividend uh, stocks, and you know, so goes the first week of January, goes the rest of the. I mean, all that sort of stuff eventually just falls apart. The information that's out there is just uh, so good that anybody can look at the information whenever they want to. Um, and for that, we I mean, we use here in the studio, but MarketWatch.com, which is something I look at every single day. Um, the information that's out there is so good today. Um, uh, just always impressed me. Um, and, and, and in that fact, um, let me share this part. You know, Tom, in college we were taught to read, you know, all these balance sheets and all these quick ratios and all this sort of stuff and have to look it up in the library and all these great big books. And now I just, you know, do it on my phone as I'm driving down the highway. Not that I say you should do that. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, but, I mean, you have the ability to do that sort of stuff. It's just really impressive, the technology that's out there right now. But also, at the same time, you have to know what the stuff means. You can get all the numbers in a roll if you don't know what they mean. And there's websites that teach you how to do that. Um, so, so that said, what I find interesting then is that what does tend to happen in the summertime is your volume in the stock market tends to go down. Because so many people are out um, camping or, you know, doing summer activities and that kind of stuff. And so as the kids tend to get back to school then, we tend to see more people start coming back into the marketplace. You see the breadth, which means the, the amount of purchasing from a stock number standpoint happens on a daily basis. Then that breadth of the marketplace then helps just start feeling the marketplace because the growth seems to be amplified. Uh, as, as well as going down, too, seems to be amplified because you have so many, per peop- so many more people participating in that rise or fall. We've talked before about how everything is more convenient now. You could, as you just said, you can do things on your phone. Uh, we do a lot of our banking. We do a lot of our purchasing uh, online. Uh, and that, of course, leads to all kinds of problems like uh, identity theft and, and, and things like that. So, yeah, yes, yeah. things are more convenient, but maybe they're not better. Do you see that with your clients who come in inundated with information? Is there too much information out there? And as you said, trying to weed through it, which is uh, your job, basically, is weeding through all of the information to find the kernel of 
good yeah. stuff that you can use. Uh, do you find that there's too much information that people are just inundated with it? And and uh... yes, kind of. <laughs> uh, let me let me show. Like, it, and I know he's listening right now. So if, so if you're listening to me, you know who you are, and I'm picking on you. But we'll see. You, I think next week. Um, so one of our clients he comes and he says he decides that he wants to uh, only have di- stocks that pay high dividends. So um, and, and so love the guy, get along great, consider him a great friend. But sometimes he drives me nuts because I keep telling him the highest dividends doesn't mean it's a good company. It just means that they're paying highest dividends. And when they're paying some of the highest dividends, a lot of times they're just buying cash and capital because they're not getting enough from somewhere else. And so so in here, it's been a, a fun and a good relationship in that sense that um, I had to keep going through and saying, okay, look at this company. Are they making money? So he now knows how to look at that and how do, a company actually makes money because you can see it, you know, look at the 10 years worth of a balance sheet sitting outside of a uh, using a Morningstar sheet. Um, so, so some of the dangers that pop up is we see the market go down and people want to buy the stock that have the highest dividends and they may not be the best companies. They just have high dividends. And so that's where some of the, the difficulty comes in is, um, you know, that's where the, the education part has to come in in this industry. I think there and was now, an old, there was an old... And 10 years ago, he would have never looked at this because he probably didn't see the articles and that whole nature. So, so with that, now we get that information and it pops up. Um, and so now it becomes more questions, which is good. Um, but I think it makes people want to make decisions from a knee-jerk reaction um, rather than looking at it for the long, slow, steady uh, as the years go on. There was an old uh, song by the rock band The Police called Too Much Information Driving Me Insane. I think oh, that, yeah. that can be uh, that can be a factor in some of this stuff, Oh, right? geez, yeah. yeah. Accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial and Kelchin Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And we're back. We're in the studio. I'm Tom King along with Merle Kelch, Kelchin Associates in Wausau. Phone lines are open. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call here this morning. Um, we haven't talked about Wisconsin companies in a while. Uh, how have the Wisconsin companies who trade on the market, how have they survived going through this this uh, down market and now sort of a rebounding market. How, how have the Wisconsin companies been doing? You know, without pointing to somebody, I had a conversation with a colleague of mine in this uh, recently, and, and we were talking about the Midwest in general, not just Wisconsin. Um, and it was kind of interesting in here is, is uh, his point that he noted from his work. And again, I don't have any particular companies, but he said that he found that a lot of the companies inside of the Midwest have, have fared better through this whole recessionary period of time, recessionary period of time. Pandemic, I just read an article about recession again. Uh, this whole pandemic period of time and this great reset and turning back on, the Midwest seems to have fared a lot better than other parts of the country for it. And one is simply because we just went back to work, um, as were so many other places had so much of the shutdowns and the mask and the various mandates. In the Midwest, we just we just simply went back to work again. Um, and, and I would guess that it seems to be the same thing. Um, I talked to friends of mine on the coast, and they said, oh, we're back to wearing masks again. We have a mask mandate. Things are slowing down you know, six feet apart, all this sort of stuff. And, and I kind of look at it and said, what? And I look around here, we just have nothing. We just went back to work. And, and so I, I think we're faring much better here in this mid part of the country. And my suspicion is Wisconsin as well, because we just simply went back to work and got stuff done. You know, in hindsight, we can look back and say, we're, you know, did all the mandates and that whole bit, did that really help us? Well, I, I'm not really sure if it did. Uh, did it save lives? Certainly it, it did, but it certainly had some uh, real damage in our economy. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that's that's going on right now, again, is is a, a reset of shutting the economy off and turning it back on again. And with that, we have an article here. I got to share this, folks, from Joy Withermuth. Um, it says the roaring labor market puts a boomflation back on the map for investors. What in the Sam 
is boomflation. So we we're reading about this. And apparently, folks, um, a brand new term that this person, uh, Kent Ingleke, um, just great. He's the chief economist strategist at Capital Securities Management. Um, says that boomflation is when we have a great wage increase, which we certainly did, some 5.2%, um, as well as we have large inflation that goes with it. That's called boomflation. So, Tom, write that in your book. Sort of like the opposite so of stagflation that yeah, we saw at uh, some point big, back in the big 70s. inflation right? and no growth. Yeah. You know, but uh, the growth we've had has been pretty good. Even the CPI numbers came out. The um, um, ISM numbers came out and actually had an increase, which we haven't had one of those in a while. So, I mean, we're actually chugging along pretty good here, folks. You know? All right. Let's go to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Jim. Jim, you're on with Merle. Go ahead. Morning, Jim. Merle, I'm thinking of buying some bonds. Should I be buying a bond fund? And can you buy, like, medium uh, and, and short term? Or, or what would you suggest in bonds? Well, bond, Jim, here's, here's my point in bonds. I had to do a bunch of research on them yesterday. Uh, the prices are getting better, but I'm still not really excited about the price of, uh, about bonds from a price standpoint. But I would not buy bond mutual funds. So, uh, Jim, let me take you back a couple of steps why that is. So inherent inside of bonds, you have what's called uh, market risk and you have interest rate risk. So the market risk is in case you buy a bond in a company or municipality that goes broke, of course, then your bond is your money's gone like any other bankruptcy that happens. So. You have to fight that, and you look at how you combat that as you look at the credit risk, just like anything else. The second part you have, Jim, is if you have interest rates go up, it makes the value of your bond come down. And if we look at where interest rates are going, there's a higher probability they're going to be going up than down. It's driving the price of bonds down, which is good if we're going to buy them for a long term because we're getting a better price than certainly we did three, six months ago. But if you now take those bonds and you put them inside of a mutual fund, we now take out the control of being able to buy and sell that individual bond, and we, we we lost that control. So if interest rates go up and that bond went down, we lost money. And I'd rather have control of that buying the individual bond. The other part that's interesting about this is we're in one of those weird times in a rising interest rate environment where if you buy a bond mutual fund, the interest rates can actually go up. You can actually lose money and still have to pay taxes, Jim. Isn't that great? Not really. Okay. So so my point is here is that we're getting real close um, to you know being able to go through into a ladder bond portfolio and have it pay us a nice interest rate and have some nice stability. My opinion is we should maybe wait until after September to see what happens with interest rates because we're close. Um, when I looked at the bonds yesterday, and so I went to the bond marketplaces, and I look at the attributes that I like to see inside of bonds. This is individual bonds, not bond funds. Um, the corporates, I mean, you can find some nice interest rates, but your yield to maturity because of the high price was in the mid-fours for your high-quality, good stuff and bonds. Um, and so 4% and you have to pay taxes on it doesn't really excite me a lot. I went into the municipal bonds and did the same thing. Remember, municipal bonds are federal and or tax state-free, depending upon where they are. And I was finding that I could find municipal bonds that yield some maturities in the 3% range. Okay, again, plus or minus. Well, 3%, you put taxes into it, I see them a little bit better with the municipal bonds, but you don't want to do those with IRAs. Now, the municipal bonds I also like because I can insure the principal and interest. I can insure them both um, with many companies as well. Uh, they have insurances built into the bonds. So I would say give it until September, let our prices go a little bit better, and then look at individual bonds versus bond funds. What about ETFs on bond ETFs are just like uh, mutual funds. It's a collection okay. of bonds, and you yeah. still don't have any control. So okay. you're, you're not able to. Yeah. Uh, okay. Not 
Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 715-845-2155. We're going to take a break for some news. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents felt like kind of thrown away. If it hadn't been for Wounded Warrior Project, I honestly don't know if I would be here. It was like, I got my family back again. We all felt the connection, like that brother and sisterhood. See how Wounded Warrior Project empowers women veterans like Donna by visiting woundedwarriorproject.org slash empowerwomenvets. United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and America's largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal law enforcement agencies through our many varied programs, including free safety equipment donations, free officer survival training, cash donations, and condolence letters to the family of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty. USDSA also offers college scholarships for the dependent children of law enforcement along with the Citizen Awareness Program and thank you cards to law enforcement. These are just some of the ways United States Deputy Sheriff's Association assists America's law enforcement and the citizens they serve. For more information about United States Deputy Sheriff's Association or to see how you can help, visit www.usdeputy.org. United States Deputy Sheriff's Association, taking training to the next level because lives are on the line. He said, what? What can possibly explain this weird left-right disparity? Could it be that leftists love big government and willingly submit to its control over every aspect of their lives? Conservatives revere the Constitution. Outlaw Radio with Magic Matt Allen. With its guaranteed freedoms, Saturday nights, and reverence for individual liberty. Sunday nights on WSAU. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King, along with Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. Phone lines are open. 715-845-2155 is the number to call. You know, this morning, Tom, I was reading an article that popped up. And uh, so the article was, you know, how Robin Hood just taking a drop and is going down in this whole bed. Robin Hood is that, uh, yes, that investment online company? Trade place, online yeah, trading yeah, place, yeah. Trading platform. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking at this, and, and uh, it's kind of reminding me some stories and some articles, or not some stories and some studies that popped up, because it seems to be popping up once again. So it always seems, Tom, that you start getting the younger investors as people sitting in their 20s and 30s start getting into investing again. They think there's always that new hot stock or that new hot tip that's going to go up. When the market goes up, everything goes up, and they think this is easy and getting into the marketplaces, and I can't believe how much money I made. Man, I don't know where people talk about this. I can do it by myself. And then after a while, uh, people forget what it was. And I think throughout the course of this first part of the year, um, a lot of the people who are investing inside of crypto um, as well as, you know, Robinhood, because Robinhood as a company took off and now is dropping like a rocket. And people are forgetting what it was. And so there was an article, and it's, or it's a study, and it was an old one from Merrill Lynch. I'm sure they've redone it, but um, it was after the 90s, as we had the big booms and internet booms in the later 90s. Um, they had asked um, a bunch of people who are in their 20s and 30s uh, what they thought the expected annual rate of return should be inside of the stock market after the internet boom. And the number one answer was uh, like 18.8% was what the expectation was because that's the only thing that they'd ever seen. Um, and so it'd be interesting to see, as my thought process is going through, um, if that study would be repeated to see if we looked at the millennials uh, that were investing inside of you know Robinhood, inside of the meme stocks, inside of the crypto, uh, what their belief would be should an average rate of return should be inside of the marketplace as you go over a longer period of time. 
Um, of course, that number is typically between about 8 and 10 percent, depending upon the year if you look at the S&P 500. So it be very interesting to me to see what that uh, uh, that number would be if that was repeated, that study. You know, we also often say that politics makes strange bedfellows, and we saw it again this week with Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan and Republicans lining up in support of her trip to Taiwan, basically trying to poke, you know, the Chinese dragon in the eye. Uh, but uh, for Republicans, especially conservative Republicans, to support anything Nancy Pelosi does was very strange. But now there's a lot of saber rattling going on. The, the Chinese launching missiles into the ocean around Taiwan. They're sending their ships into the Taiwan Strait. Um, you know, we have always said over the years that we would defend Taiwan against China, that uh, uh, and um, it's getting more strident these days. My my question is this, as tightly as the Chinese economy and the U.S. economy are, even with the trade war of the last few years and all of the tariffs and everything, I mean, the Chinese have tons of goods that we buy, and we have companies that want to sell their products to the huge Chinese population. Are these, these uh, threats and all of this rhetoric that's going on now between the United States and China, is this just posturing? I mean, we're not— the, do the Chinese really want a war over Taiwan? Does the U.S. really want a war over Taiwan with with China? I mean, where do you see this all going? And then how is it going to affect the economy between us and the Chinese? Well, you know, first of all, from from a China standpoint, remember, we need China needs us. We don't need them because um, they're not opening up what you know they said they were going to do during the Trump era, going even back to Bush or to Obama, and letting us sell stuff inside of their country the way they ever expected, ever they never have. Weird. It's a communist country, and they behave like one. It's kind of bizarre to me. Yeah, but the companies They've here— They've never opened it up. But we're not, we're, I mean, I think we're selling them about $50 billion a year, and we're buying about $600 billion a year of what we can replace almost any place else. And we're working on replacing it from medicines or to chips and everything else. We're going to find other places, do it some places more reliable from uh, than China is. So, How long will that take? I'm going to guess probably a few years before it's done. Um, uh, and it's been a few years already. Uh, but but you know they need us. We don't need them. We can find another replacement to make whatever it is that we want to have our, our widgets made in another location someplace. So so and I, I'm, there's a lot of other countries out there that do so. But there are a lot of companies, including here in Central Wisconsin. I'm thinking of the ginseng farmers that need the Chinese market. That that they've taken a huge hit since these yeah. tariff wars began with China from their product being available and selling in China there's, and there's for the no prices. Doubt. And it's not a perfect system by any stretch of the imagination. There's no perfect system in that. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is the Chinese have done a number of different things where they say they're going to do something and they simply don't. Um, Hong Kong, for example, that's going to be an independent state. It's not anymore. Uh, they've infiltrated and they've essentially taken it over and, uh, you know, doing your communism within Hong Kong. They're just using, simply using it as another money center. Um, they're not doing something, uh, you know, they're, I think, well, they're not letting people be the people. Uh, they're using the communist government to control everything. Um, and, and they're acting like communists. And what do you, what do, you do with all that? We've talked before about making international funds part of your investment portfolio. When you talk about an international fund, does that include uh, companies in China and Russia in an international fund, or is that separate? Yeah, to a certain degree. Um, you know, the difficulty with Chinese, the Chinese market is, one, um, you can buy some of the Chinese stocks, but you're really not buying them in China because they're not going to let you do that. And if you do, um, uh, they're stocks that are partially owned by the Chinese government. We're finding that a lot of the Chinese you know, companies that are here in America are still being controlled by the uh, uh, Communist Party. And so as a result of that, they've been doing things like uh, the Chinese government will do things like put money, the own government money into the stock market to prop it back up to make it look good. 
so it's not real numbers. Their math is not consistently uh, generally accepted accounting, accounting principles. Uh, they'll just make up their own system, make stuff look right. And so how do you determine if that's a good company or a bad company from that standpoint? It's just so difficult to do. So are there good ones? Certainly so. Um, but there seems a lot more that's going to be real problematic. Um, Russia's standpoint, a little bit better, but their companies just aren't really making money, especially right now. Nobody's going to buy them. Um, we have to be international. We invest, though, and we have to look at that. Um, you know, the, the old adage is that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, two-thirds of all the investment opportunities in the world are inside the United States. Today, they're outside because the rest of the world is growing much faster in the United States. We might be much stabler than most – stabler. Uh, is that a comp? More stable. More stable. I like stabler or better. Uh, we're, we're probably more stable than the rest of the world as far as uh, uh, stock markets go. Um, but, I mean, we have to look around the rest of the world. That's the emerging markets and new technology and that kind of stuff is coming out and um, growth and light bulbs and that kind of things. Where you, when you look at that and you're going through and checking everything out, where are some of the places that are jumping out at you as being places that are on the rise at this point in time? You know, some of the places I, I, I like and I look at, um, one, I, I, I love the African continent. I've been there a number of times. I enjoyed a great deal of the South African area. Uh, you know, it was a, a world power at one particular point in time. It's now become a third world power. Um, but the whole region down there just needs basic supplies and basic things. And I think there's a great opportunity not only for business, but it helps people at the same time. Um, right down to uh, water and being able to haul water and that kind of stuff and, and uh, stabilizing that. And, uh, you know, for example, the country South Africa, just because I have a lot of familiarity, um, was really going on downhill. And I think it's on much on the uphill uh, since they now have a president that was a business owner at some point in time. Made his money actually with Kentucky Fried Chickens. Uh, so, um, but uh, that said, you know, I like that region. That region, it, it needs a lot of infrastructure and work. Uh, they're working hard with not only reserves and sending them out around the world. They've got a mountain of reserves within the country itself. Uh, seems to be having some stability areas uh, to it. I, I like that area a great deal. I think it's, uh, um, I think it's going to be really good. How I does, like the Chile. I like the Chile area because of their lithium and that kind of stuff. How does somebody go about finding out more information about companies in those areas of the world? Um, you don't, folks. Um, and, and I mean this truthfully and professionally all at the same time. Um, don't try to find out what company you want to buy in South Africa or in Zimbabwe. Um, because it's not going to work. You're not going to figure it out. You probably won't speak the language. Um, that's where you look for really good, high-quality global fund managers. And there's a number of them. You pick the name of the mutual fund families. There's high, good, good high-quality through there. Uh, the big names that you know, let them do that work. That's what they're doing. They have people that live there that do the accounting and all that kind of stuff and the math and speak the languages, know the culture. That's where you have to do that stuff. Um, we literally don't buy any purposeful international stocks, um, at least not on a large-scale basis, simply because it's so difficult. I do not speak Portuguese. I'm not going to do well in Portugal. That's all, right. all I got. All right, 715-845-2155. We'll take a break, come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call here this morning. We'll be right back on WSAU. Now, this day, here's Chris Conley. The Beatles were arguing again. This argument would be settled by releasing Ford. Like that promo just said, what would you tell people who say that we're in a recession? You would say. I'd say no. No. Not in a recession. Yeah. 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 Um, even though we had two uh, negative quarters of GDP, which is the classic thumb uh, sign, but the rest of the stuff is there to do it. You just can't have two negative GDPs. Um, uh, one of the things that, that we're looking at to try to get rid of inflation that helps uh, tell us is, is a reduction of M2 money supply. 
And I've talked about it a few times on here, and uh, it really takes a lot of brain thought to explain what M2 Money Supply is, folks. So if I just start, you know, if my head hits the microphone here on the way down, I'm probably fully, fully flat-on short-circuited now. But, uh, Nar- Nar- your narcolepsy is going to kick in here? <laughs> so M2 Money Supply, there's M1, M2, it doesn't really matter so much, but it's essentially cash, money market accounts, and what's called money circulation. Um, and so what we need to have for inflation to um, really improve itself is to have that M2 money supply drop. And there's nothing we can't do anything, folks, and go out and say, well, I'm going to spend my M2 money supply and we're going to make it go. It doesn't quite work that way. Um, but uh, in here, some of the things that lower the, the M2 money supply is, you know, having uh, bigger reserves outside of, um, inside of banks, um, having our Federal Reserve System get rid of its balance sheet of all these bonds that they have and start selling some of those out a little bit more. So that'll help reduce it. Um, but the beautiful part about it is we've had two months now in a row of contraction of the M2 money supply, which is going to really help with that inflationary number. And so I, I'm pretty hopeful on the inflationary number. I don't think it's going to be cut in half here when we see it uh, coming up um, shortly. But um, I think we start to see that inflation number start coming back again. And again, a number of the economists had said that if inflation starts improving, our stock market was too low when they said that two months ago. And we just had a great big jump in it this next month. So uh, wouldn't it be nice if we continue to have that keep going for the next month? I'd love to have a a nice uh, jump in the marketplace once again. I think we, well, I think we all would. We're about uh, three weeks from hitting into the last quarter of the fiscal year. How, uh, as far as taxes go, what what are some things that people should do to set up their portfolios as a, uh, from a tax standpoint heading into um, 2023? What, what are some things well, that- Some of the biggest thing is doing some tax loss harvesting and doing some Roth conversions. Um, you know, one of the, the Roth conversions, people don't think about this, we were part of it, but Let's say you had a thousand shares of, and I'm, I'm making up a name here, folks. Uh, we had a thousand shares of uh, ABC Company. Well, there is one of those, but you get my drift. And if it was at uh, $500 a share in January, but now it's at $100 a share, we can still convert the thousand shares into a Roth, but we're going to end up saving all that extra dollar amounts aside of uh, taxes because we can convert the shares, not the dollar amounts. And so in converting the shares, so that, that sort of stuff still is working and still makes sense to do so during the Roth conversions. You don't have to do all of it. Some people say, well, I'll do 5000 bucks, or I'll do 10000 pay a little bit of tax on it, I'll convert it over now, because now when it grows, it's going to grow tax-free. That's one of the smartest things you can do right now. It's still very viable. It uh, makes sense. The other thing is to do some, just some, do some tax loss harvesting. You know, we talked about a little bit earlier before. Well, explain what that context. is. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about it before, but I'll, I'll but a different context, so we'll just do it here. So um, let's say you have, um, uh, I'm going to pick two companies that are consistent names. Um, so Google and Facebook, all right? Folks, I'm not telling you to buy or sell them, but I'm using this as an example. So Google and Facebook, both internet, one socially, but their main business, they sell advertising, okay? So with it, if you say, well, geez, I don't like, um, uh, um, I like Google, but I'm going to sell them and take the loss, but I still want to be inside of that marketplace. You could sell Google, write the loss off, and then buy Facebook. Um, because Facebook also sells advertising, you can hold on to Facebook, you're still in that game, for lack of a better term, but now you just wrote off a loss into the marketplace. So when Facebook goes back up, you still have a rise in the marketplace in the social media or the media outlet that's selling advertising. So that, that type of thing you have to do. So tax loss harvesting, saying, well, how can, what we can do to take advantage of things uh, from a tax standpoint. So there's a lot of that that's being done out there right now, swapping stocks back and forth. And, and the reason they do that sort of stuff, folks, is because of what's called wash rules. And a wash rule is if you sell a stock for a loss and you buy it back within 30 days, um, you don't get the tax loss. 
Maybe it's just me, but that sounds complicated. I would imagine for most folks, the average investors, you need an accountant or something to handle that stuff for you, or can you do it yourself? Or crazy advisors that actually know this junk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can do it yourself. I mean, the rules are pretty simple to do so, but it's it's a, it's a, there's benefits to having a financial professional with you because they can give you a com- some companies that work similarly. For example, uh, GM and Ford. Um, you know, uh, okay, I don't like Ford anymore, so it's down. I'm going to sell that for a loss. I'm going to buy GM. It's still a car manufacturer, and so the car manufacturers and car sales and improving, I'll, I'll still benefit, but I don't have to uh, worry about the wash sale rules in the middle of there of selling one tablet. And yet, law. you still have to make sure that the companies that you're buying uh, is still doing things right and, that, and oh, will go well, up certainly. in the marketplace. Yeah, and, and again, I'm oversimplifying this yeah, yeah. on purpose to talk about the tax loss, but yeah, certainly you have to make sure that the companies are viable and making money and balance sheets and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't make any sense to do anything differently. Um, you can do the same thing with mutual funds. You can do the same sort of thing and say, can I do some tax loss harvesting here and help myself on the taxes and then take advantage of the markets coming back down again. Um, and so I think there's some real benefits to that um, uh, that type of work. So seek your financial professional say, you know, can I take advantage of anything and make some lemonade as long as we have some lemons here this uh, uh, we've got we've got a few minutes left. Uh, anything else that's on your mind over there? Anything that your clients have been asking about uh, in this vo- volatile market that we find ourselves in? You know, there's there's something that's interesting. I got to say, and it's and, and it's a it's a legal thing, and and I want to put this out there because, you know, with all the stuff that's going on, we're having a lot of people doing trusts and this kind of things. Um, and and I want to put this out and had a note to talk about it um, with Alan so he can talk about it on the, on the program. And Alan will probably be here in the next couple of weeks as I got a few things going on anyway, folks. But I want to put this out there. So, folks, if you have some trusts, um, different types of trusts and irrevocable trusts and that type of stuff, and you have some annuities that have living benefits to them, um, be very, very careful on ownership changes and beneficiary changes on this stuff. And, folks, I'm saying this because I think there's a number of attorneys that don't quite get it from an actuarial standpoint. Um, and, uh, and so I'd like Alan to chat a little bit about this on the legal side of it, why they want to do it and why we can't. So for example, if my wife and I buy an annuity, that's going to have income based upon both her and I actuarially, that insurance company has now calculated what that annuity is going to do based upon me and my wife both. So if we go through then and change the beneficiary from no longer my wife to, but down with trust, well, it's now a non-natural person. And those guarantees that we just established are going to be gone. Or if I change the ownership from me to a trust, well, I'm not there anymore. So now it can't go just be based upon my wife. Uh, now that changes and those benefits are gone. And we've seen had this happen on a number of occasions recently. Um, fortunately, with our clients in our office, we, we catch it, you know, because we'll, the attorney office will request changes. And we'll say, no, you, you can't do that. You know, we got to change it differently. But and we've also had a number of them that have come into our office where uh, people had annuities with, uh, you know, a company and another law firm went through and just changed it. And the clients didn't get it didn't get caught by the advisor by themselves. And now the clients have got to start over. I mean, so all the benefits that they had ready to go for retirement for incomes or however they were going to use the annuity, those benefits fell apart because an annuity, I'm sorry, a trust is not a naturalized owner based on actuarial science that the annuity needs. It's one of the biggest warnings that I have out there. So, folks, if you have an annuity, before you change the ownership or change the beneficiary on it, simply call the insurance company and say, what happens if I change this to a trust? That's probably the easiest, fastest, simplest thing to do 
I'm going to certainly talk to your financial professional and see what the answer is. All right. Well, we're just about out of time for today. If folks want to get a hold of you on Monday, how can they do that? Monday morning, we will be in the office drinking coffee, kicking tires. Uh, we will be there. Um, so stop it in, 3rd Avenue and Bridge Street. Say hello. Say hi. Give us a call locally, 715-849-3600. Toll free outside of the Wassa area at 866-355-5100. Or find us online at kelchinassociates.com. All right, we'll talk to you again down the road. See you next week. Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates here in Wausau. We're coming up at 9 o'clock. The news is next. The polka shows are on the way. Brewer baseball tonight. The Brewers and the Reds from American Family Field in Milwaukee. And you can catch all of that action right here with the pregame show at 540 on WSAU. Do you worry about how?